You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery. Day nine. Day nine of an episode every single day. And it's a Saturday, so hopefully you are all getting to enjoy somewhat of a weekend. And for those of you who work on the weekend, I really hope that your job gives you a couple weekdays off in a row so that you can enjoy those as your pseudo weekend. Let's get right into this episode because today we're going to talk about support. The opposite of addiction is connection. We have talked about that numerous times on this show. If you do not know that quote yet, then put it to memory. The opposite of addiction is connection. Our goal in our sobriety and recovery is to actually make connections with people. I've referenced this a couple of times that we want to be mindful of are we in protection mode or are we in connection mode? And protection mode is going to be pretty obvious to most of us. It's when we don't speak our truth. It's when we don't have open, honest, vulnerable communications opportunities with people who are literally standing in front of us, where we want to say something, but yet we're holding back for some reason or another. And I know that I'm guilty of this. I know that there are some amazing conversations I would love to have with certain people. I know that there are tough conversations that I would like to have with certain people. And for whatever reason, that I'm feeling it in the moment, I will bypass those conversations and generally say, well, I'll get to it later. I'll have another opportunity to do this. And that may be true. We have to be mindful to pick and choose an advantageous time for the listener, the other person we would like to have a conversation with, as well as ourselves. That is it the best time of the day for us? Are we in the right attitude or mood? Are we finding them preoccupied with a lot of things on their mind? And perhaps we need to ask them permission to have a really cool conversation with us and maybe even put it in the schedule. And I know that can sound a little bit contrived, you know, lacking of some level of spontaneity. But here's the thing. In any given moment, whatever you're feeling on the inside Everybody else around you is having feelings as well. Are they similar to yours? I mean, that's subjective to perspective. But everybody's going through their own stuff. And if in the middle of the day, you feel like you're in the mood to have a conversation, the other person might have 20 things on their mind already. They might be in the middle of a really big project and they're in a problem-solving mode. And now you want to introduce a conversation that, quite frankly, could just be adding more onto their plate than they're ready to look at in the moment, to listen to, to even begin to feel into that conversation. So when we go to make these amazing connections with people, we want to be mindful of our state of mind, of our state of body, where we're at physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually in the moment, realizing that the other person or people are going to have those same potentially hurdles or just potentially speed bumps or just things in their life that they're also going through, that it could be a little bit more challenging for them to slide right into a conversation you potentially have been ruminating and thinking about for quite some time. Because generally, the meaningful conversations we want to have, we've been playing out in our head countless times on a loop. So you've had a lot of practice. You're prepared. The other person, you could be catching them completely off guard. 
and they're not ready for this kind of conversation. And perhaps it would be better for at the end of the workday or at the beginning of the morning or somewhere. And if this person means that much to you and you mean that much to them, then a really good way to start off any meaningful conversation would be to simply ask, is this a good time for a meaningful conversation? It gives the other person an opportunity to calm themselves down, potentially just prepare physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually for the conversation. And then you can enter into it either at that moment or at a later specified time that works for the both of you so that you can have yourself in a comfy or calming environment. You can think about what it is that you want to say, knowing the conversations coming up, actually coming up, and not just being relived in your head. So that's the first step toward the opposite of addiction is connection and seeking support, is knowing a good time to have meaningful conversations or difficult conversations or joyful conversations. But either way, I have definitely caught myself in times where people wanted to have a really great conversation with me that I would want to have, but in the middle of my workday when I've got four other things that I've got going on and I'm trying to problem solve an issue in my head and then launching into a conversation that would absolutely be splendid to enjoy, just not at 2.30 with four things already happening at once. So be mindful of that whenever you go to have conversations and simply say, hey, would this be a good time to have a meaningful conversation? I've been wanting to talk to you about blank. And then figure out when would be a good time. Okay, so that's the step one, is just to realize that just because it's a good time for you doesn't mean it's a good time for them or anybody else in general. Now, the second thing I want to make clear about support, and I've caught myself doing this recently, and I mean, when I say recently, as in all the time, no, don't say all the time, Jess, that's not the wordage we use. Frequently, I catch myself saying a sentence such as this one, that person doesn't support me. Now, there are a myriad of people that I could be referencing because I have a lot of friends and I have a lot of people that are important in my life. What I have realized over the last few weeks as I began to dissect that sentence of this person doesn't support me is a realization that the, what, is, what I'm really saying to me in this regard is they are not supporting me the way I want them to support me. Because in reality, if I were to rattle off five people that I could have said that I had said this about that all five of those people are supporting me, but potentially the support I want in the moment or the overall support I'd like to see from them isn't meeting the expectations of the support I have them doing for me in my head. Does that make sense? So when you look around and you think about the people that are important to you, that you put on your sober squad, that you've put on your list of people that you could reach out to at different times in your addiction recovery journey, those people are supporting you, but they may not be supporting you in the way you want them to be supporting you. And it's really important to understand that because when we say sentences like, that person doesn't support me, we're completely negating anything that would actually be support from them that we're choosing not to see simply because what they're doing isn't what we want them to be doing for us. 
So you might have someone who is willing to pick up the phone for you and talk in the morning, but then they don't want to talk at night. And now you could say, well, that person doesn't support me. Well, why don't they support you? Well, I want to talk at night and they don't answer my phone. Well, do they answer your phone at any other time during the day? Yeah, they'll always answer it in the morning, but I want them to answer it at night. Well, that person has chosen to be willing to support you in the morning. And for whatever reason is important to them, they're choosing not to do it at night. And when I got into sobriety and recovery and I switched over to Melissa, my therapist at Kaiser, something important that she had me do was come up with lists of people I would call at different times in my life. And at the time, everything was focused on sobriety and recovery. So it was like, who would you call if you wanted to celebrate something? Who would you call if you didn't succeed at something and you wanted some support around that? Who would you call if you found yourself in a bar thinking about drinking? Who would you call if you were at that bar with a drink in your hand about to take a drink? Who would you call? Who would you call the next morning when you wake up from a hangover? Who would you call the next morning when you don't wake up with a hangover because you didn't take that drink? She's like, not everybody is going to fit on the same list. She's like, in fact, there's a very good chance that some people that would be on the celebration list would not be on the I'm about to have a drink list. And the people on the I'm about to have a drink or I did go off and drink last night, whoever's on that list may not actually be on the celebrate list. And you have to understand that it's not from a lack of willingness on those other people's parts to play a complete role of support for you. It's just that certain people will fit better in your life during certain circumstances than others. And having that realization was powerful because it allowed me, one, to expand the scope of people I could call upon for support. And it also allowed me to relinquish any kind of expectations I had around what people may or may not be able to do for me at different times in my life. And I think this is really cool. And she drew a direct comparison um, to, at the time, we were just talking about this very philosophically when I look back at it in this one particular memory I'm having. And because I started asking, I was like, okay, well, you know, what if you have a best friend or if you're married or if you've, you know, got older children, like how would you figure out how to put those people on different lists? And one of the cool things she brought up is she's like, you know, I counsel a lot of people who are married and oftentimes the person on the list of who they would call when they were at the bar with a drink in their hand would not be their spouse because that's the person that might bring guilt or shame or anger or fear to the conversation. And the conversation you want to have when you have that drink in your hand is one of hope and faith and confidence and self-esteem. She's like, it's very interesting that the person you would think, right? We went up there, we got up on the stage, we did our whole vow thing, we drank, we acted like, you know, hilarious people, and we shoved cake in each other's faces, and boom, now I'm supposed to call that person anytime something's going down in my life. But Melissa made it very clear that that's not the case. And it may not even be the case that the spouse may be the person that you call when you want to celebrate something. Because maybe their expectations is you would have won more or earned more 
or maybe they've seen you do all the hard work and now they're just grateful that the whole thing is over with so that you can get back to, you know, some modicum of normalcy. Like I could come up with infinite variables here, but what I think is the important point that I want to get across is that when you go to make your support list, realize that there are going to be people you think should be on the celebrate list or should be on the holy shit, I'm getting ready to relapse list or should be on the, oh my God, I can't believe I lapsed list. And that actually may not be the most suitable list for them. Now you can ask, right? So now let's move to the part where we go back to the original Right, where we ask about the tough conversation or we just ask about the, the conversation in general. No judgment upon whether it's good, bad, right, wrong, difficult, tough, whatever. If it's a conversation that means something to you, then ask the person if they're ready to have it with you. Made that point already, I'm moving on. Second, when we're seeking support, let's have some lists and let's be mindful of whom we're putting on those lists. And if you think somebody should be on the celebration list or should be on the, you know, the sky is falling or, you know, the red alert, the red phone list, if you will, then ask them, hey, if I catch myself about ready to slip up, would you take that phone call? If I texted you and was like, red phone, would you call me? Would you be able to be there for me in that moment? Because it's really interesting how much people will be willing to accept a responsibility like that if they're asked to accept that responsibility, if they understand the parameters of that responsibility. See, a lot of sponsors take on sponsees understanding that the parameters are if their phone goes off at three in the morning and they see their sponsee's name on the phone, they're waking up. They're taking that call. Has somebody who's a recovery coach and and helps other people find their way from sobriety and recovery, I make it very clear that I'm not a sponsor. I don't walk people through the 12 steps. That's the most... If somebody says they're a sponsor, that's indicative of a person who will walk you through the 12 steps. But it also generally means that they'll answer your phone call anytime you call. I don't do that. (laughs) I will answer text messages after a certain point, but then there's a time where it's like, okay, I've got to disconnect from my phone. I want to disconnect from the world. I want to go off into Jesse land for a little while. But my clients know that. People in my life know that. They know that I'm going to want to go off into my office and get creative for a few hours, and I may not come out other than to get another soda water or go to the bathroom. But that's what they know because I've laid that out. This is what I like to do. Have you talked to the people in your support circle and let them know like, hey, if I go off for a couple hours, it doesn't mean that I'm out using. It just means that I'm playing some video games or I'm being creative or I'm outside getting some exercise. Whatever that looks like for you, just let them know. And if you'd like to dip off of the, the what do they call it, the, the grid, if you want to get off the grid for a little while, you don't necessarily owe anyone an explanation for doing that. But do expect that they could be concerned about you. And here's a very interesting caveat that I want to make known, is that I had a buddy, Todd, best buds, we're sick up brothers together. And when I first got sober, he would call me frequently. 
I didn't ask him to do this. He just chose to do it. He always wanted me sober. And when I finally got sober, he wanted to celebrate that with me. And there would be times where um, I'd say, okay, well, I'll give you a call in a couple days. And then I wouldn't. And so he'd start calling me. He's like, oh man, I was just super worried about you. And I took it as an affront to my dedication to my sobriety and recovery. I took it as an insult. And it took me a few weeks to get the courage up to say, you know, when you say that, it's really insulting, man, because I feel like you don't have faith that I'm serious about this. Because he's one of the very first people. I remember I've told you guys that I didn't really tell anybody about this. Well, I told him. And he was one of like the first five who knew. And I think it's only because he happened to call me because he knew I was on a bender. And I told him, like, dude, I'm like a few weeks into this and I just, I think it's time to do it. So anyways, the point is when I finally said that, he's like, man, I don't think that you're back out using. He's like, I just don't think that you have a lot of people who know, let alone a lot of people who even care. And when I don't hear from you, knowing I'm one of the few who knows, I just worry that you're getting isolated. And we have both talked about how isolation is the beginning of turning back. He's like, I just want to know that you're safe, but I don't think that you're out drinking. I think you're serious. I just think you also need some love. And it really meant a lot to me that we had that kind of conversation so I could understand that he was coming from a place of love and concern and empathy and acceptance and not of disdain or disappointment or any other negative emotion I may have created. So I think it was really important that moving forward, I remember being like, hey, you know what? I'm just going to go off and do my own thing for a few days. I'll come out of this. I'll make sure I give you a shout, not doing anything crazy. But I let him know the parameters of where I needed him in my life. And when you're seeking support from people, it's not just the parameters that you're going to want to explain to them for what you might need or desire or want from them, but it's also letting them know what your parameters are. Because they may get so used to that phone call every day or every other day, and then you skip a few days, and now they're chicken little thinking the sky's falling, and you are just over here living your best life. Both parties need to understand the parameters and have a conversation about it. And when I tell this to, to clients or I, I coach them through this or have these kind of conversations with people in addiction recovery centers, the main pushback I get is that the whole thing sounds very contrived, that it lacks some level of spontaneity, that it sounds overplanned, like we're trying to parent each other. Or, you know, that, oh, so, you know, you're one of those adults who needs affirmations and you need, you know, parenting. And it's not parenting or, or coddling to express to somebody your wants, needs, and desires and then have a conversation around that. I think that's like, such a upper level of adulting. Like, you know, I'd like to say adulting 101 frequently. I think this is such a higher level of adulting that most people don't experience it. So then they just get uncomfortable with the feelings that are elicited within them when somebody says, hey, I'd like to have a meaningful conversation about the parameters of our relationship. Because most people just ghost or they make plans and then break them by not even showing up, or at the last second say, hey, something came up. Just fucking say no at the beginning, and let's get over the disappointment of not being involved with one another within this one particular event or whatever the circumstance may be. Just say no, rather than trying to hem-haul around it, making a promise and break it. And this is the upper level of adulting I don't think a lot of people get to, which is why we have such an abject reaction to it when somebody 
evokes the desire to have that level of a conversation with us. Hey, I would really like to sit down and figure out the parameters of your support, the parameters of my support. When can I be there for you? When can you be there for me? What level of friendship are we going to have here? Are we going to schedule phone calls and then meet them? And then both of us listen to one another instead of just waiting for our chance to talk? That's like some adulting 701 level stuff. Because it's within the clear communication that true bonding occurs. That we actually get the connection that we desire. And I can't remember who said this quote, but... I've heard it enough times that I'm going to get ready to butcher it for you. But I think it goes along the lines of the misconception about communication is that it's actually occurred. And I wish I could remember who said it. But what that quote is saying is that most of us think we're communicating with somebody else and we're actually not. People are just talking at one another, but there's not a whole lot of listening happening. And when you're going to find support, if it's the celebration where somebody will laugh with you and, and talk real fast with you, then put that person on that list. But if that's the fast talker who doesn't really listen all that well that you want to call up when you're in tears, and then you don't get the support from them that you want in that moment, it's not that they don't love you and care about you. It's just that you put them on the wrong list. Put them on the celebration list and then go find the person who is kinesthetic, who does breathe deeply, who does feel things deeply, who's empathetic, and make sure that that person is on the I need you right now list, the red alert list. When we seek support, I want to leave you on this. It's not that people aren't supporting us. It's that we have expectations of how we would prefer they support us. And are we even sure that we've even outlined those parameters for them? Because people are supporting you in the best way they know how, with the resources they have in the moment to be able to be there for you. But to say a statement like, that person doesn't support me, completely negates all of the positive things that they are doing for you. It's rude to them. It's a lack of awareness for you. And it's the opposite of connection. It's protection. It's disconnection. And what we seek in this amazing time we have on this planet and within our From Sobriety to Recovery journey is connection, is communication. And honestly, not a lot of people have a lot of experience with this level of communication, with this level of connection. So expect some pushback within yourself and expect some pushback from the other person as well. But the more we do something, the better we get at it. And that's a pathway to recovery I'd like to stay upon. All right, my friends, as always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow every day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober. Shout out to Sunshine and Robert. Glow on. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. 